hello and welcome to Addiction Makes 3, the podcast hosted by me, Amanda Lockyer, and we are having the conversation of what this looks like from the other side and the impacts on families and spouses. So welcome to Addiction Makes 3 and here we are, episode 3, Where is the Lasagna? And I mean that figuratively and quite literally, okay? There is no lasagna or casserole or pasta bake when you have a loved one struggling with addiction. And here we are talking mince, ground beef to my North American friends, and all that hearty goodness, right? Something and legitimately anything that has been cooked for you with love by someone else in your time of need. Whether you're in the thick of it right now or in the middle of the shit show and it's all confusing and exhausting or if you're living alongside it in chaos or if you have come through the other side of it, where is my goddamn lasagna? As I mentioned back in episode one, if you haven't listened, go and tune in how Addiction Makes Three came about. And I started off thinking I was going to write a blog back in late 2019. And that didn't happen. However, I did write a few blog posts in anticipation of posting on my blog. So this was actually a blog post that I wrote four years ago and some kind of divine timing because I wrote it on the 23rd of October 2019 and here we are same date in 2023. So back then this is the thought I had. No one brings you a home-cooked meal ready to heat and eat when you are in addiction land. There is no lasagna in your time of need. That when you're in the eye of the tumultuous storm of addiction and on that merry-go-round of uncertainty day in, day out, there ain't no meatloaf getting dropped at your door. Why? And it all really boils down to two little buddies of ours, Mr. Shame and Ms. Secrecy. And I've spoken about it before, and this is going to come up time and time again. Addiction thrives in secrecy. Shame thrives in secrecy. So here's the thing. If your loved one isn't out of the addiction closet, so to speak, and openly being supported in that, then most likely neither are you. 
right? I absolutely wasn't then. I wasn't out of the addiction closet back in 2019 and neither was my loved one. We were trying to navigate the storm behind closed doors for many reasons and, you know, denial, shame, stigma, all of that. It felt like it was just me at the helm of our ship. No map, resources, no idea, and him you know, predictably unreliable first mate rambling about on deck. Trying his best, but sometimes falling short of what was needed to steer our ship in the right direction. And me as well, right? Falling short. So here is the proverbial rock and hard place situation that we find ourselves in. And You might be here or maybe you recognize when you were here. Now let's get into the why this rock and hard place. How can you get support, get help, get people around you, get a delivery of some lasagna or meatloaf, pasta bake, if you can't or won't tell anyone what is going on. And it is so, so tricky. I know you probably do. I did too. You wear the mask well, right? That everything is okay everything is fine, we are fine, they are fine, it is all fine. And I can tell you, no one tries harder to do everything on her own than a woman with a mask on, trying to pretend to herself and actually to the world that everything is okay. And I speak from personal experience here. It is life depends on it kind of effort, right? 10 out of 10. Now, I can't speak to my loved one's secrecy, but mine was initially at least out of some kind of respect for him. That is where my secrecy came from. Let's just agree now that this makes sense. And it also does not make sense. I didn't want to disrespect him and in inverted commas, tell people what was going on, thinking they would judge him because God knows I have judged him. So surely others would as well because they don't understand addiction. And not only did I not want him to be judged, I didn't want me to be judged, our family, our children. So 
that can be a contributing factor to the secrecy, right? Sometimes it's out of respect for them, their family, the shame, the stigma, and all of that. And also telling people about what is going on makes it real, right? It takes us out of denial, which if you go back to episode two, I spoke a bit about how denial keeps us safe from having to do anything. Telling people what is going on makes shit real. And the secrecy can also kind of play out in some of our belief systems here. And there's many of these. So I would invite you to get a bit curious as to your own reasons for keeping this a secret. Something that played out for me, just one of the things, was lesser said, quicker healed. So the less you talk about something, the faster we can heal from it. And in my mind, if he did come out the other side of this or through the other side of this and was in recovery, was doing all the great things, amazing, and then no one need be any of the wiser, right? So this is when, again, denial has a little dance with hope and a little dance with realistic expectations. And this is where we play. If they come through the other side of this, and we're hoping it's soon, right? We are hoping it is soon. We are really putting all our eggs in that basket. Then we don't need to tell anybody because if we tell people, they know, and then there's a whole thing, and then we're kind of putting it out there, and people are going to judge us, and they're going to, you know, all the things. So if he came through the other side of it, then no one need know. Surely that was the right thing to do. And That just kind of says that let's try to navigate this never-ending shitstorm ourselves. Just two of us, someone struggling with addiction and someone who really has no clue about addiction at all and is just on her knees. Brilliant idea. Okay. And please hear that with the sarcasm that it was said. However, this makes sense. Of course, we all do this or some variation of this, okay? We try and navigate it behind closed doors for many, many reasons. So have a think about what that is for you and ask yourself, is it helping, right? Where is this getting us? However, this is really a well-worn path, you know, you're not alone if you're here. However, going back to my situation, at the time, and I guess over time, this approach seemed completely correct. It felt so right, you know, it just felt so right. This is it. We keep it a secret, we navigate it alone, and we'll just doing our best here and no one need know and we'll come through the other side of it fuel and great 
we didn't expose ourselves to the judgment and the stigma and the shame and the all the rest of it. So amazing. Let's keep the ship going in this direction with a questionable captain at the helm and first mate. We are sure to get to the right place, right? <laughs> For sure. It it seems bonkers now in retrospect, but at the time it completely made sense. And despite not having resources, right? The know-how, the support, and just two people who didn't know what the hell they were doing with limited capacity between them, for sure this makes sense. And I mean, it was all shades of wrong. Yet this is actually how it was for a long time. And I mean years. And I know some of you are living in this for years in the secrecy And when you feel safe to, take a pause and think how this is going to play out, right? How is it going to play out? So anyway, of course, we keep the secrets. It makes sense. But also... Of course, when we keep secrets, we do not get any deliveries of lasagna. (laughs) There is no meatloaf. There's no salads getting dropped off on our door. Also, what happens when we're living in secrecy, when we're wearing our mask, when we're trying to do all the things and just putting ourselves to pure exhaustion, no one asks if we're okay. No one knows to ask. No one is checking in on us because no one knows that we need to be checked in on. And that is how secrecy plays out. And for me personally, I was going through an awful time which spanned years and I didn't tell anyone. And let's agree to just take this as a fact it is slow and insidious okay we spoke about this in the last two episodes as well it is a slow burn so when we reflect and it doesn't matter when it all started but you know years right and some people are still living in secrecy decades I have some woman in my coaching program where they have been living in secrecy for decades. So for me personally, going through an awful time, spanned years, I didn't tell anyone. I was slowly breaking and falling to pieces on the inside, trying to keep it together on the outside. And I either couldn't or wouldn't tell anyone. So if this is you, have a think. Is it that you can't or you won't, right? They're two different things. I kept trying to keep up the facade of happy me. (laughs) How bloody exhausting is that? A facade of happiness, so draining. However, we do these things for the right reasons, you know, it makes sense. So the facade of happy, not only for the sake of my two young children, 
in which I was trying to make up for an absent parent. I mean, hello, overfunctioning to the 100th degree, trying to do all the kids' activities solo, going to social events, family events, gatherings, more often than not solo. And when people would ask where my loved one was, you know, making up something semi-close to the truth. And let's talk exhausting, trying to keep track of the story you tell people. I talk about this a lot in the coaching program, depending on what your core values are, you know, being in your integrity when you're out of it feels so yuck so when I was obviously my own behavior is not great here lying to people it did not feel good and then the exhaustion of keeping track of the story you tell people you know it is so exhausting and why are we doing this because of shame and secrecy and I guess if I'm honest I wasn't only worried about other people and their shame and their judgment. If I'm honest, a part of me was ashamed too. Why did I have a loved one who was like this? This wasn't what I had in mind at all, right? I, was, I wasn't expecting life to be all good times and I was anticipating the general ebbs and flows of life And for sure, shit wouldn't inevitably happen, fine, all good. Normal life stuff. And normal life stuff that I'm sure I had the wherewithal to cope with. And at the time, the fallout from being married to someone struggling with addiction was well beyond my capacity. Well beyond, well beyond my resources well beyond my skill set, well beyond the tools I had at my disposal. And the shame runs so deep on both sides. And this is why we don't get the proverbial lasagna delivered to our door. Shifting gear a bit still on the lasagna theme. It is said in some circles that people that have navigated crisis and generally shit times, that mince, ground beef is the dish of grief, right? It is the dish of grief that you get when you're navigating some stuff. And people, if you love someone struggling with addiction, there is so much grief. We are grieving our circumstances and reality. We are grieving the person who is still alive yet isn't living anything close to their great life. We are grieving their lost potential and ours too. We are grieving the life we thought we were going to have together. We're grieving the boundaries, the safety measures, and the considerations that we need to implement sometimes daily in the really bad times. We're grieving for our children. 
who won't have the family life we envisaged and planned. We are grieving for the friendships we have lost because of addiction. We are grieving community dynamics that have changed because of addiction. We are grieving our past, present and future. And we are grieving for our person. We are grieving. And when we are on our knees with this, rocking in the corner, tears staining our face, we can have grief envy. When we wish we had something more acceptable in the grief and challenges circle going on with our family. I mean, goodness. And we wish that so that people knew we needed a goddamn lasagna. That we could say, hey, we've got a lot of hospital visits coming up. Can you pick the kids up for me? And it would be, of course. In fact, it would probably be offered. And skin melting off moment here. I legitimately wish that my loved one or I had something more acceptably shit going on with either of us so we could be allowed to more publicly be in our need, be in our grief. And that is devastating, right? And if you will sit with me here, I used to envy the grief widows could publicly display because they had lost their husband and in many ways I felt I had to. It's just that he was still alive and no one truly knew how many pieces my heart was in. And how devastating it was watching our family navigate this. My heart was broken for me and my children and it still is. And this is the secrecy. This is the shame. This is the grief. So what changed for me? And... Tread kindly here for yourself if this is something that you're thinking of doing or maybe you have tried this and it hasn't been great. So I started speaking my truth to one lovely safe person at a time. One little and hugely uncomfortable courageous conversation at a time. And that, my friends, is how I got the proverbial lasagna and support. That is how I got people around me. Okay, it is speaking your truth to safe people. It is not a Facebook post, just saying, in case you're tempted. It is a little bit of what's going on. It's a some things are going on and it's not great conversation. This isn't permission to go and shit talk your loved one 
although I have done that and I am not proud. Now, caveat here. Not everyone deserves to hear your story and not everyone is going to be a safe person. So tread gently and you will be better at identifying who are safe people. Also, people are going to get fatigued by this. So you might have safe people, amazing, they're around you, but then this is still a thing in a month, six months, a year. And maybe your loved one has been to rehab, whatever it is. And it's this whole, is this still a thing, question. And I will definitely dive into that on another episode. Because that makes sense, the confusion, because people don't understand. This is hard. When you are trying to make changes in your life, it is not easy, okay? And there is a general misconception out there that rehab is a silver bullet and that is not it, but a topic for another day. So you will find your people. And what I refer to in my coaching program as your A-team, the people who check in on you, the people who ask to take the kids for an outing or to pick them up, the people who give you an extra big hug when they see you, the people who send you little messages, the people who drop off a lasagna. Okay, those are your people. They are your A-team. So, you have some steps to get a lasagna on your door, okay? You need to tell people, and I know it's not easy. I know it's not easy. And start small, okay? Start small. And it's not the whole story. It is a small snippet and a little bit of courage. Thank you for joining me here at Addiction Makes 3, the podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. I would sincerely appreciate if you could rate and review the podcast as it helps others find it. And if you'd like to get in touch with me with thoughts, feedback, or queries, you can send an email. And if you would like to know more about working with me, the details can be found in the show notes. Thanks for staying kind and I'll speak to you soon.